Hi, this is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. If there are any children who are participating in Kids Own Worship, you can feel free to head to the back for that. There was an opinions essay about a month ago in the Washington Post titled, I left the church and now long for a church of the nuns. You probably heard this term, nuns. This classifies almost 30% of Americans who say that in terms of religion, they are nothing in particular. So they're not quite sure what they believe, but the majority formerly identified as Christian. But in this article, Perry Bacon Jr. talks about his experience growing up in the church and then gradually fading away from it, and he says that there wasn't one particular thing that caused him to stop going to church, but it was kind of multiple things that he describes in the article, but he talks about um, some of those things that he was processing, and, and he shares what he misses from the Sunday gathering, and that is reminders to pursue compassion and generosity and kindness. He misses connecting with people who are different from him, whether that be a political view or an age or work experience and perspectives. Um, He misses corporate singing and live music. Uh, And he recognizes that there's a need for a place where people can learn good moral values and meet others who can support them in times of need and integrate with people across divides and learn how to pursue good causes. He says he, he, he says he feels kind of socially lost, and at the end he says, I want to be something in particular. And I think what this writer is noticing is that the church is a unique kind of community. It's unusual for people from different streams of life to come together and gather in one room, let alone share life together throughout the week. It's unusual for words of hope and encouragement and good news to be the prominent message. It's unusual for a group to be characterized by service and self-sacrifice, and not only for those within their group, but also for those outside of their group. But the point I think that he's missing, and I think actually all of us can miss at times, is that Christian community is unique because it's centered on Christ. It's where people who have been transformed by Jesus, people who are coming together around our need and around an experience of God's grace in our lives. What binds us together isn't a certain interest or certain perspective or even a common value, but what binds us together is Jesus Christ, who reconciles us to the Father and to one another through the Holy Spirit. So in this series, we're looking at what it means to be disciples. We're unpacking Grantham Church's definition of disciples, which is people in community who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are growing to love, 
follow and lead others to the God who looks like Jesus. So we're focusing today on the first part of that definition and how we are people in community. And, you know, we've talked a lot lately about community and belonging, and because that is important, we know that loneliness is an epidemic in our world. We talk about how divided our society is and how we get into our silos. But we're not talking about community because this is something we're striving for. Community is not actually our end goal. We're talking about community because it's an, it's an outcome of the gospel. It's a result of God's character and how he's created us. It's who we are. We are a community. We are disciples, plural. <laughs> so today we'll reflect on how we're created for community, how our community has been broken, broken but reconciled in Jesus Christ, and how Christian community is not an ideal we strive for, but a reality we live into. So that's where we're going this morning. But let's start, start by talking about how we're created for community. So we're going to look at Genesis. If you have a, a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you don't have to go too far in the book. We're going to start at Genesis chapter 1, in these first couple pages of the scriptures. And Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And just a note here about the word God in Hebrew, it's Elohim. That word, that im ending in Hebrew is actually plural. So right off the bat in the first, book of, first verse of the Bible, we see that God is this singular being, but plural in nature. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the Trinity in just a minute. But throughout the following verses, and we're not going to read all of them right now, but we see this pattern in creation. So we have a pattern of God said, and so he gives a command for something to happen. Let there be light. Let there be a separation in the waters. Let the waters teem with creatures or what, what, whatever it might be. So God says, then it happens. So whatever he says happens. There is light. He creates the creatures and so forth. And then God sees that it's good. So we see this pattern over and over, and six times God sees that his creation is good. And eventually we get to verses 26 and 27, and we'll read those. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So let me point out a few things in this passage. So first, we see again this kind of interesting dynamic of God, the singular and plural. So God is referring to himself as us, and let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. But in verse 27, God is singular. God created mankind in his singular own image. So he's this singular being with a plural nature. In the image of God, he created him. Now some translations say them. In the Hebrew, this word actually is a singular pronoun, but it's not saying that he created a male human yet. It's saying he created, it's the him is referring back to mankind, hang in here with me, which is a singular word in the Hebrew called Adam. 
So Adam just means the human. It will eventually become what we refer to as Adam, the, the proper noun, but right here it's just saying God created the human in his own image. In the image of God, he created the human. Male and female, he created them. Now there we do have a plural. And so the parallelism in the poetry here, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What this is saying is that the persons together are in God's image, male and female. One alone doesn't fully reflect who God is, but it's in community that humanity reflects God. And then if we keep going in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The first time we see very good referring after his creation of humanity. And if we were to keep reading into chapter 2, where God goes deeper into the creation of humanity, we'd see that Adam, the human, when, he was, when the human was first made, God says it is not good for Adam to be alone. So I will make a counterpart suitable for him. So God's intention in creation is to make in his image a singular plurality. And we're going to hit the limits of language here, right? It's kind of hard to use our terms to understand and describe the Trinity. But if you will, people, humanity, who are multiple and different and unique, but who are one, united together as God's image. So we together reflect God, his being, his character, because God himself is a singular plurality, and we call this the Trinity, three distinct persons in one being. In his book, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves poses this question, what do you think God was doing before he created? Because if we see God as a solo being, then maybe we think he created because he was bored, he wanted something to do, or maybe he created because he was lonely, he needed love or needed to feel complete. But Jesus says in John chapter 17 that the Father loved him before the creation of the world. So before God created, he was already loving. The Father giving love to the Son in and through the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is this beautiful community of love. God as a community of love in himself. And because that's who he is, that communal love just had to come out of him. He had to create. He, he wanted to create as an outflow of who he is. So when he creates something in his image to reflect who he is, he creates a singular plurality. Again, maybe that's not the best word, but that's kind of the word I'm using to try to understand this. Humanity. So we're created for community. As the image of a triune God, we are designed to be together. But our community is dependent upon God. We're just God's image, right? We're not actually God. And thus our potential for thriving and deep and real community is completely dependent on the triune God. And that leads us to our next point, that our community has been broken. In the fall, we turned away from our dependence upon God. You know, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they, they eat the forbidden fruit in the garden, what happens? Well, in Genesis chapter 3 says they realize they're naked and they cover themselves. 
So they hide themselves from each other. The first separation after the fall is actually between humanity, between the man and woman. And this is because they lose sight of their dependence on God. They want things their way. They turn away from God's created order. And this is what happens with us. We pursue our way of doing things. We don't want community as established by God. We want it under our terms. So we seek to build community based on the things we like, maybe the people who we connect well with, or maybe you know, the people who talk about the same things we talk about, or the people who maybe won't go too deep and vulnerable and make me get too deep and vulnerable and honest about where I'm at. The people we can kind of say, okay, I'll give you this much access to my life, uh, and that'll be sufficient. You know, we have certain expectations for community, and as long as we're happy, and as long as people are kind of following our unspoken rules, everything's okay. But when someone joins who's maybe different from us, or who has a different perspective or experience from us, we can struggle to relate to them, and that shakes our community. Or maybe if someone comes in and starts talking about those things we don't talk about, or shares a little bit too personally about their struggles, or is a little bit too needy, we can, we can, our, our community can be shaken. And this, I think, is part of why there's an estimated 40 million Americans who used to attend church but don't now. And some of those, I mean, even if they're not at that point of being nuns, nothing in particular, they may still want Christ, but many may not want the church, the Christian community, because they don't feel like they fit into that community or they've been hurt by that community. And this is because we've often created community in our own terms. We've pursued community apart from God, even in the church. We've elevated community and connection to the central thing, and what happens when we put community at the center is that it becomes an idol and it can't hold up. Our ideals of community can't hold up to differences and conflict and just sinful people. Our community has been broken. But the good news is that through Jesus, our community is restored. In salvation, not only are we reconciled to God, but we're reconciled to one another. When we follow Christ, we're given the gift of community. So in Christ, community is not an ideal we strive for, but a reality we live into. So let's turn to a couple passages in the New Testament that will help us unpack this. We're going to look at some writings from Paul. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then also Galatians chapter 4, and I'll have some of these verses on the screen as well. We'll start with 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. When we put our faith in Christ, when we make Jesus the center, we're a new creation. We're newly living into the design God intended. So we now submit our lives 
to his way and live into his created order, which is being a community that reflects the heart and character of God. We are one of those reconciled to Christ. So he reconciles us and we pass on this reconciliation to others. Together we demonstrate the communal love of the triune God as we all lean into the grace we've received from Christ who reconciled us to the Father. So let's go a little bit deeper with this in Galatians chapter four. Paul says it this way, he talks about reconciliation in terms of adoption. So Galatians four, verses four through seven, Say, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir." Did you pick up on the Trinitarian language here? Look at verse six, it's God the Father sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts. So this, the spirit of Christ in us calls out Abba, Father. That word Abba is a, a personal, intimate, affectionate way of kind of saying like daddy. It, it, it implies that closeness. In salvation, we're invited into the eternal love, the communal love of the Trinity. We're reconciled to God by the Father sending the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, and we participate in this love by identifying as God's child, calling out, Father, Daddy, I am your child. The Spirit makes us brothers and sisters of Christ and thus invites us to share in the love that the Son, Jesus, enjoys with the Father. And this is a privilege we, all, we share with all believers. We are co-participants in this love. In salvation, we have all been adopted as children of God. Just a few verses earlier in Galatians, in chapter 3, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So our fellowship is not based on a common experience, but as one commentator put it, it's based on our common participation in the divine communion between the Father and the Son mediated by the Holy Spirit. So our community is based on our participation in the Trinity. So if this community is a reality we have in Christ, it's already established by who God is, what does it look like for us to live into that? Well, and this is hard for us because we have a sinful nature that wants to create community with our own terms, but how do we live into a community already established in Christ? Well, I think it starts with recognizing and remembering that we are all recipients of God's grace. In the verses we looked at, we saw some of those privileges that we have in the gospel, adoption as children, the spirit in us, union with Christ as his brothers and sisters. All these blessings are unearned. We didn't do anything to deserve them. 
So when we remember that, our pride begins to break down. Those categories, Jew, Gentile, this is a cultural or ethnic difference. Slave or free, that's a difference in status. Male or female, difference in gender. These differences no longer define us. We no longer hold pride in our culture or status or gender. We're clothed in Christ. That means he is our identifying marker. We're all sinners adopted by God's grace. No one is better than the other. So we don't need to look down on another who's also received God's grace. We don't need to be jealous of one who is our brother or sister. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic work, Life Together, talks about entering Christian community as thankful recipients, thankful for what God has done, for forgiveness and love, for the gift of others to share life with and who will walk with us in our sin and need. He says this, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God and Jesus Christ? Thus the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary, beneficial, or valuable because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds. We can't have community by our own terms but only by the one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. As we live together as the people of God, there will undoubtedly be moments of conflict and frustration and even hurt. We all come with our sin and baggage and, and just different perspectives and experiences, and actually, if we're not having any kind of rub or tension at times with each other, it probably means we're not getting close enough with each other. But when you get close to someone who's different from you, there's naturally going to be some tensions to navigate. But Bonhoeffer is suggesting that these are occasions for gratitude, gratitude for God's grace, gratitude for how God unites us through the forgiveness we've received in Christ. So we live into the reality of our community by remembering that we're all recipients of God's grace, and also remembering that we're entrusted with a message of reconciliation. So think back to 2 Corinthians 5, we're given a message of reconciliation. We are to invite others to participate in this community through the reconciling work of Christ. We, we talked about how God was loving before creation and that love just poured out of him and so he created. When we are newly created in Christ, the love we have together just pours out of us and we want more to experience reconciliation with God. It's who we are. When we're transformed by God's grace, we can't help but share that message with others. And that comes out in our everyday lives, in ordinary situations, when we're meeting over a cup of coffee or picking up you know, groceries for a neighbor who can't get out or helping someone with their computer or whatever it is, going about our house tasks and our work, 
we're talking about the, our experience of God's grace because it's something that just so overwhelms us. There's a show that we've been watching recently called Only Murders in the Building. It's a whodunit mystery show where these unlikely characters come together to solve murders that have taken place in their building. So they're, they're amateurs, they all live in the same building where these murders have happened, they're all intrigued by the mystery and want to create a podcast through their journey of solving these crimes. So you've got Charles Hayden Savage, who's played by Martin Short, Oliver Put or excuse me, Steve Martin, Oliver Putnam is played by Martin Short, and Mabel Mora is played by Selena Gomez. You wouldn't expect these three to come together, but what you start to love through the show is, you know, the dynamic they have with each other, their different stories of their losses and love and loneliness, and, and what brings them together is this significant purpose of identifying these killers and bringing justice to the victims. There's a point in this current season where Mabel is asked about her relationship with Charles and Oliver, and she calls them her best buds. And she's asked, what do you talk about? She says, murder mostly, but also how to connect to Bluetooth. We talk about that a lot. And it's a funny dynamic of this significant purpose that's brought together with just this mundane aspect of life. And there's an essay in Christianity Today where Mike Cosper comments on how the church should reflect this, this significant purpose and mundane life coming together. Um, you have unlikely people, right, who are coming together. We see in the disciples, there's fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and, and sinners of all kinds coming together around a significant purpose, reconciliation. We've experienced it with God and we've given this message to share with others, yet it's kind of worked out through our mundane life, right, our everyday situations, it's all intertwined. We, we share life in the everyday moments, but pursuing this significant purpose. We have people who might be, you know, longtime brethren in Christ, grew up in this church or, or this denomination, and, and maybe, you know, you even have a name that a lot of people recognize, but when you reach out to someone who maybe doesn't have the name or is newer or doesn't have that reputation and invite them over a meal because you just want to get to know them and hear their story, that's an image of this reconciliation. It's when you have a, a three-generation family, speaking to myself here, who loves being together and maybe loves your traditions, and, but you reach out to someone who might be alone or might not have family locally to join into your family rhythms. Maybe you're on a committee with a person who you might struggle to relate with, you know, and you, it's easy to cast judgment or disregard their perspective, their input, but you lean in and you listen and you try to understand and uncover your common values and you see them as a co-image bearer. Or maybe, you know, there's someone who's struggling with the church or maybe even been hurt by the church and they're given space to express their doubts and frustrations and ask questions. We can see that brother and sister as someone who needs just as much grace as we do. It's in these ordinary activities and everyday spaces that we're brought together with a significant purpose, 
bearing the message of reconciliation. As we remember the grace we've received and the love of the Trinity poured out in us collectively, that same love pours out of our lives to those around us. We have the privilege today of celebrating communion. And these are mundane elements, bread, juice. But they represent the significant purpose that has brought us together, God's reconciliation with us by his grace and his giving us the message of reconciliation for others. And this is a joyful occasion for God's people as we celebrate the past, remembering Christ's salvation or his sacrificial death, which gives us salvation. Remembering the future, or looking forward to the future and the promise that we will one day enter eternal fellowship with Jesus. And we also celebrate the present, appreciating the experience of community we have right now our communion with Christ, who is present with us at this table, our community with each other, who are all part of Christ's body. As we eat and drink from a common loaf and cup, it reminds us that our unity rests in our communion with Christ. Sharing this meal is one way that we live into the reality of our Christian community. So as you come to this table in a few moments, look around you. We come to the table as disciples, as community, as a family of God, transformed by his grace, recognizing our need for him, pursuing Jesus as our center, and depending on the Holy Spirit to be our unity. So let's prepare our hearts with prayer. triune God, we are in awe of your love for us, your grace for us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for creating, for pouring out your love into us, and for giving us one another. God, we take this for granted. Lord, help us to be able to live into the gift of community that we have. Help us to see each other as co-image bearers. Help us to listen and share life and learn and walk together under Christ. God, you are the one who unites us together, and so we celebrate that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.